Welcome to Council in 20, casual weekly conversations with Ottawa City Councillors. Three questions, three councillors, 20 minutes. I'm your host, David Schellenberg. Today, three councillors from all over Ottawa. Councillor Ralston King from Rideau Rockcliffe. Hello. Councillor Scott Moffat of Rideau Goldburn Ward. Hello. Hi. And a Councillor Riley Brockington from River Ward. Technically, Hello. Rideau River. Rideau River. Just to be just clear, throwing it's, it's Rideau just, there. that's the river. It's not the name of the ward, <laughs> but just to be consistent with Ralston and I. It's Rito River. Gotcha. <laughs> so just so you know where he's from. <laughs> I did have an opponent who thought our ward was the Ottawa River. So That's... that was a great slip to have in an all candidates debate. But did he is... show up? He did. Okay. The, he the he did not get elected. Debate. What? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Know your rivers, get elected. Uh, Rivers are not the topic today. Federal election, the Chateau Laurier and on-street parking. Let's start with the federal election, a fairly feisty federal election. All right, councillors, what are you hoping to see come out of this election for municipalities, for your city? What's on your wish list? Ralston, let's start with you. Well, thank you. Uh, I think uh, this uh, federal election is feisty. I mean, it really started off with uh, a prime minister who unfortunately uh, was found to uh, be wearing a black face, brown face. And uh, at this time at the city, uh, I'm, I'm really calling for an anti-racism secretariat. Um, I think it's really important for us to, to deal with uh, issues that affect a lot of the racialized community, um, especially around employment equity at the city and uh, government. Governance. Uh, so, uh, you know, one of the key things with this debate, which became very divisive, is, uh, you know, uh, individual apologies and whether the apologies were, were meaningful. But I think uh, meaningful action should be a key uh, result. And that's why I'm calling for anti-racism secretariat at the city. I, I've, uh, I've uh, circulated a proposal based off of uh, people's, uh, especially in the racialized communities, their, their input. Um, the, the federal election also has a, another issue uh, that has emerged uh, around uh, gun control. I know that uh, the liberal leader has uh, called for uh, um, ensuring that uh, municipalities have tools to to uh, regulate uh, uh, gun control, uh, that's a, a major issue in in my in my ward. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, uh, gun and gang incidents, and uh, I've been calling for greater tools. I, I'm taking a balanced approach, though. I know that uh, I introduced a, a gun ban motion, and everybody kind of underlined the notion of the gun ban, uh, but the motion also was dealing with curbing uh, gun violence. And I don't think that you can you can curb gun violence without actually addressing gun control. But there are other components of, of that, uh, which include uh, social investments, addressing the social determinants of, of some of the crime, uh, ensuring that there are tools to uh, help youth, uh, vulnerable youth, uh, get out of gangs. So through gang diversion and gang ex- exit strategies and supports for uh, single parents. Um, and I know that uh, I believe that the NDP just recently said that they were looking at, uh, in, in terms of their platform, uh, introducing $100 million for, for uh, community investments uh, to, to help communities with uh, gun, gun violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there have been multiple issues that have emerged out of this uh, federal election, uh, but those are key for me, a meaningful uh a meaningful way to address systemic racism and also meaningful ways to address uh, gun violence. So and I'm hoping think, for... You don't think that $2,000 to take your family camping is going to address gun control? Uh, no. I, no th- okay. I think that we need something a little bit more substantive. <laughs> than than, than $2,000 per family to go camping. Yes. Okay. Yes. okay. I just want to make that clear that you, that you don't agree that $2,000 to take your family camping 
is going to be a impactful when it comes to probably not for my control. probably not for my neighborhood no no <laughs> no for the benefit of people listening you're a black man yes you know, we'll admit this is you know, audio only i can uh, vouch for that yeah <laughs> was racism an issue before the campaign started like did you expect to see this in the federal election well you know it, it's it's an interesting turn obviously i wouldn't expect that the uh, prime minister would wear a blackface I mean, that's uh, and that's an individual act of racism. But, uh, you know, black people, racialized people uh, see individualized acts of racism every day. I mean, I was called a nigger when I was walking down the street, uh, heading back home from work, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a year, a year and a half ago. So, I mean, but that's just something that people actually expect to happen. I think um, what people want in the community is systemic action so we're not surprised by individual acts of racism we see those every day and you can you can educate people and forgive people and and that's 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 the truth but in the end people want to know that uh, their life experience will improve and you can only do that through systemic change and that's one of the reasons why this is an interesting inflection point for a lot of communities it really does shine a light on some of the racism that does occur every day but it also says you know we want substantive action to really fix these things right Riley Brockington, uh, how are you seeing the federal election? I don't think it's feisty enough. I mean, I'm really, really excited to see the debates coming up. Well, hopefully all the major candidates will actually take the time to participate. I know the PM skipped the first one, but I think that's it's where a really number of Canadians <laughs> canoeing. I know canoeing as well. Uh, it takes, takes a long a time. You, time. Know, you can't show up at debates when you're canoeing all the time. But, I, you know, it's tired. Exactly. Two, two major <laughs> platforms have not yet been unveiled. And so I think... Um, I think things are just getting to heat up. As far as, you know, issues in Ottawa, we're looking to have the federal and provincial governments to step up for funding for LRT Phase 3. We basically said as a city, our financial capacity is is maxed out to contribute billions more for the next phase. Phase 3 is looking at Canada, our western suburbs and communities, Stittsville as well perhaps uh, down to Barhaven. I do concur with Rolston's fact, the uh, guns and gangs strategy that we're seeing the federal government's, you know, uh, being more immersed into. We recently received some some money from the feds to go towards our police department, police departments across Ontario, the big ones, Toronto and Ottawa in particular. Um, and some local initiatives in my ward. I, I'm going to be asking candidates in Ottawa Centre to commit to proceeding with federal legislation to enact or enshrine protection for the central experimental farm, which right now just has heritage designation, but mm-hmm. that's sort of a nice thing to have. It, it's There's no protections for this land. They've stated over and over again that agricultural research, uh, the science that goes on there is very important. It has been for decades. It will be for decades. So why are you not willing to take protections and protect this land in the heart of the city from future development? We don't argue against the hospital. We're not arguing against perhaps the expanded baseline rapid transit project, which all take pieces of this land. I think people are concerned going forward that the farm needs protections. And that's something as a councillor I can't do. We as a municipality don't have the protection or the authority to protect this land. We need the federal government to step and say, yeah, we're going to protect this land. And other smaller infrastructure um, 
initiatives in my ward, whether it be the Mooney's Bay Pavilion, the Alexander Community Center, would like to see these renovate and expand. And we're looking for partnerships with both the provincial and federal governments to step up and, and contribute towards those costs. So right. whether it's transportation, community safety, local infrastructure, we need the federal government to be engaged with us as partners. Scott Moffat, what's left? What's well, on I your think, list? I think one of the challenges with Councillor Brockington's position is that the federal MP for Ottawa Centre actually has to spend time in Ottawa Centre. Um, I, I know that the rest of the world is an attractive place to visit, uh, gallivanting across the world on a on a plane everywhere, but um, Ottawa Centre also matters, and you actually should probably, as the MP for Ottawa Centre, spend time in, you know, Ottawa Centre. I think... Uh, Federally, I'd love to see more emphasis on LRT and on the next phases. I think we saw back in 2014, a provincial election, Tim Hudak was leader of the provincial Tories at the time, and he kind of hesitated before committing to LRT stage two. And that really hurt him in specific ridings that they really needed, which is Orleans, uh, Nepean, and Kanata. And federally, you have them holding the Nepean riding with Chandra Aria, and you have the federal riding in uh, Canada, Canada Carleton with Karen McCrimmon. So having those two MPs not be out there on the forefront talking about LRT stage three yeah. and what that means for their communities and coming out there and making that a priority. Great. The Prince of Wales bridge from a short term thinking, it's very nice. It's an easy project in the grand scheme of things. When you have a budget, the size of the federal government's to put uh, pedestrian access and cycling across the Prince of Wales bridge. Sure. It takes a lot more, Ingenuity to actually go out there and say, we're going to commit to funding stage three of LRT. You know, put that out there. Force the provincial government to come up and back it up. Say, we're going to put up half the funds if the province will meet us. That'll get you there to stage three. So far, no one's doing that. Why? Because it actually takes creativity. It actually takes someone looking more beyond a four-year mandate to commit to something like that. Right. Well, talking about long-term, uh, Chateau Laurier. Uh, Riley, let's start with you on this one. Uh, announcement on Friday... Uh, I don't know if most of us understand. So what happened on Friday and what's the next step for the Chateau Laurier? Well, um, the Committee of Adjustment heard, I believe, two applications that the proponents of the Shadow uh, went to them. They um, are minor in the grand scheme of things, and that's why they go to this Committee of Adjustment as opposed to Planning Committee. One was, uh, if I understand well, with respect to a retaining wall that helps separate their property line from Major Hills Park. And the other is... Um, this is non-technical words, but the overhang of the um, expanded building uh, abutting the, the street that right beside the property line, that's the piece that got rejected. Okay. And so the ball is now in their court, Larco's uh, Investments Court, because they have to decide whether they appeal this decision or whether they redesign this particular piece, and ultimately, I don't know if they automatically go back to committee of adjustment or whether there's an opportunity for the planning committee to be engaged. Sort of the gift that keeps on giving because <laughs> there are so many designs and redesigns of this. It's it's you know, built heritage subcommittee, planning committee, council, council dealt with this. Then they came back to committee of adjustment. I've been very clear. Where I've sat on this, I've sat on all three of those committees I mentioned. I voted against this all three times. Um, There's no one on council that's opposed to a renovation or even expansion of this building that I've heard. I think certainly uh, a number on council, although in the minority, are opposed to what we have before us. 
And if it comes back to council, then hopefully we're going to see a, a redesign that's more in tune to what the public feedback has been almost unanimously uh, been so far, which is to be more in tune to the heritage look and feel. And again, we're not asking for it to be a carbon copy. It really can. It needs to have a modern flair. But what we've seen thus far, in my opinion, has not been a good match. I just want to take exception to one thing. The majority of council, talking about the minority majority of council being against the proposal for the Shadow Laureate, to be clear, we all feel that it has uh, some drawbacks. There's, we all feel that that design could be better. What it comes down to at council is the policy that's before council and what's the process. And it's the same process for anyone looking to do either an expansion or renovation to a heritage facility. There are there are key processes you have to go through, mm-hmm. things you have to do, um, criteria you have to meet to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Larco met all those. We don't like the end result. That's not the first time. I can tell you that there's other facilities. Uh, the NCC proposed, it's funny because they actually used it as, a, as an example, 7 Clarence Street. The NCC first came at us, the 7 Clarence Street, on this horrible box, the tin box design on the back of this building. They went and redid Which building it. is that? Somewhere? 7 Clarence Street. It's, yeah. just, it's just in the courtyard, so okay. it's uh, right off of... Uh, right off of uh, York. I think it's just, uh, or George, between George and York, right. that facility there, there's a number of restaurants in there. Okay. And they were putting an expansion on the back of one of the one of those buildings, and it was hideous. And we actually sent them back, and they redesigned. They then re- had revisionist history and said, well, we had the foresight to, no, we actually <laughs> sent you back to redesign it. Right. The difference is there, NCC actually redesigned it. They heard what we said, and they redesigned it. Larco didn't, and they don't have to. That's, that's the difficulty for the public, is that Larco doesn't have to fundamentally change their design to fit in there is nothing that says they have to do exactly what we want them to do from a design criteria first of all you won't find a single member of council with a with an idea as to what they want to see we don't really know what we want to see i don't know what i would like on the back of that building it's very difficult from this angle we're standing we're sitting on the front uh, lawn at city hall staring at the building right now and you can see what you see and that's what's beautiful that view won't change what's difficult is understanding how you could expand that building and make it look attractive more than it is today or not detract from it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the underlying thing that no one really can grasp onto. The committee of adjustment decision, that's just based on nine feet. Right. If they want to scale that back nine feet and come back at it, have at it, it's still a box design. No matter which way you go in this direction, it's still a box. Even on the appeal from the French Chateau Laurier on the, the building itself, it's still a box that you end up with. If you talk to the majority of residents in the city, they are against a box design on the back of that building. The majority of the residents in the city actually want to see a recreation of the existing. Right. No one's building that. No but architect isn't there has a put a rule name on that. that prevents them from doing. Not that? a rule. It's not a hard and fast rule. If if an owner of that building wanted to recreate Disneyland and put Disneyland on the back of that building, they could do it today. No one's doing that. No single architect in the world is going to put their name on that design on the back of the Chateau Laurier. But they could. There's nothing saying they can't. In fact, city council, prior to amalgamation, approved a design on the back of that building that is a virtual recreation of what was done back in 1912 and then subsequently in 1927 with the second edition. So it's possible, but no one's proposing that. What we have in front of us was the box. And what we tried to do was find a better design for the box. Interestingly enough, the side of the train station, which is now the home of Senate, the north-facing side, the side that faces the Rito Center, is actually the same design that is the proposal for the Chatelorier, with limestone columns and glass in between. That was just nominated for an Urban Design Award. Odd. <laughs> Ralston King, uh, what's your thoughts on the uh, You know what's interesting for me is the divide uh, with the Committee of Adjustment. 
because those are primarily residents. And it's, it's interesting to hear uh, their perspective versus what emerged out of council. And, uh, you know, I think I echoed some of the some of the things that they said in their decision in terms of the heritage of of the of the building and wanting to see that reflected in in terms of the design. So uh, I think Scott is right. There is this uh, divide in terms of process, in terms of the way that it really works. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think people want uh, this great, uh, you know, heritage uh, component of our city protected. And it just seemed very interesting that it was very clear. And and the other key thing is, uh, you know, seeing this not as a minor variance, which is mm. also very interesting, saying, you know, uh, I, I guess we will see this come back uh, to, to, to LPAT. I think that's the expectation of uh, the friends. LPAT, of, uh, so uh, the uh, local plan, the, the local planning. planning the tri- yes. Um, so it will it will go through an administrative tribunal process. Uh, and I think everybody has expected that would be the case, mm-hmm. um, but but the reality is there is definitely a a, 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 a countervailing vision of that a lot of residents have and, and an attachment to the building uh, that they want to see protected. Okay, just a couple minutes left, and one more topic: on street parking change coming to on street parking and paid parking. Do you support the new shift, Scott? Let's start with you on this one. Uh, what is the changes coming? Well, the report's coming to committee. I've yet to see the full report to, to review it entirely. But I think what we're trying to look at is there's a few things. One is we haven't raised the price of parking for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that there's a bunch of rules that say that we can't. Right. We can't just increase it. It's not a revenue generator. It's not allowed to be a revenue generator. In fact, we have a surplus in our parking um, in our parking reserve fund of over $20 million wow. that we can't really spend on anything because we can only spend on parking infrastructure. So we actually used it a few years ago to create a new parking garage in the Glebe. Right. Um, so that's something we can use now. We can use it towards – we're trying to look at how can we actually use that money. How can we generate a bit more money out of that, out of that fund mm-hmm. through parking and actually put it back into the community and still manage to stay within the – legislative guidelines that we have to that we have to adhere to right. and that's been the challenge i think as people the public has looked at us and come to committee come to council constantly and said well you keep on raising transit fares but you don't raise parking but we can't do it as a disincentive we can't just jack up parking rates as a disincentive to driving right. i think that, that they'd like to see us do that but that's not actually within our purview to be able to do that so a lot of the, a lot of the discussions around what can we do with our parking? How can we manage it in the future? And there's other models that other municipalities have done, whether it's a, a parking authority, which actually takes it out of council's hands, mm-hmm. or the status quo, which is what we do today. But then there's also these concurrence issues that we have where if you want no parking, for instance, um, the people of Westboro don't have to worry about paying for parking. Right. And even if the city tried to install uh, paid parking in that area, the the local BIA, and there's actually multiple BIAs in that area, have a veto over it. And the ward councillor has a veto over it. So in some cases, a BIA wants, no, wants on-street on paid parking because it helps turnover in the street in the community. Sure. Others feel that, well, it's going to push people away. They're going to go elsewhere. So it's, it's the, there's that whole argument as well. And the BIAs don't necessarily feel aligned on this. So you might have the Bank Street BIA, BIA and the Byward Market BIA is kind of pissed off that – Westboro doesn't have paid parking. Right. The Westboro BIA said, no, we don't want it. We're happy with the way we are. Yeah. 
So there's a bunch of things at play here, and it'd be interesting to see where the conversation goes at council. Right. Uh, Riley Brockington, Scott talks a lot and takes up a lot of time. So, uh, a couple of moments left. What's your thought on parking? The main question I have is if we have such a large reserve and we're very limited on how we can spend that reserve, then why are we raising parking rates to begin with? So I would love to see a parking reserve and parking revenues go to sidewalk upkeep and more bike infrastructure and public transit, which is what we're hearing over and over again to use these revenues for. But I want to have a really clear understanding of, of what we can use this uh, surplus for. Um, Parking rates now are $3 an hour. The proposal is $3.50 in sort of high demand areas. We want to be able to be flexible and, and charge more, $4 an hour. So that's part of it. And they are going to be looking and targeting neighborhoods that don't have parking now. And Westboro is one of those neighborhoods. Dun, dun, dun. So stay, <laughs> stay tuned. The committee does meet this week. But I, I think we need a lot more flexibility in what we can use these parking revenues for. Right. That's, Ralston, that's my main thing. Ralston, you get the last word. I agree with the flexibility. Uh, you know, if we can have investment in uh, parking for motor vehicles, how about uh, cycling, uh, parking, and that type of infrastructure near our parks? So I think that we need to have some flexibility. And I think it is worthwhile looking at uh, the uh, the. Uh, I guess the static uh, uh, pricing that has been in place for over a decade, because we know that uh, OC transpo rates have mm-hmm. been growing and growing and growing and growing, and that has been the parking rates have been flat. So I think that it does uh, does require some some evaluation. That's Ralston King. Also today, Riley Brockington and Scott Moffat. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you for having us. Uh, I'm your host, David Schellenberg. Tune in next Monday for more Council in Twenty.